Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then go to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Go over to verse 25 of the same chapter. The last verse of chapter 2 and into chapter 3. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the women saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now go to Matthew with me, please. Matthew chapter 4. If you already have it, you might want to look for James chapter 1. James follows Hebrews. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning at the very first verse, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, 
He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again the devil taketh him up unto an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now right over to James chapter 1. Just three short verses. At verse 13 of James 1, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. For every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. These three passages of Scripture deal with the issue of temptation. A subject that all of us are acquainted with, for we all have faced it at some time. Being tempted to do that which is contrary to what we know we ought to do. I think maybe that God uh, gambled very, very greatly when he put man on earth, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, made them perfect, but gave them the right to sin if they desired to do so. He said, there is all of these trees in the middle of the garden. You can eat of all of them with the exception of one. You're not to touch that one. Don't eat that one. And wouldn't you know, that's the very one they wanted to eat of. That's sort of like telling our kids, leave the cake alone, and it's so tempting they just can't keep their fingers out of it, right? God says, I have given you everything in this garden that can be yours except for that one tree, but in the day that you eat from it, you will die. And Satan comes along and begins to question the wisdom of God and says to Eve, really did God say that? Is that really what he said? You see, we have a habit of hearing what we want to hear. This is the problem that we all face when it comes to getting ourselves in difficulty. When we get our, quote, nose out of joint, is because, many times it's because we have only heard what we wanted to hear. And so Eve 
says, yeah, God said that we shouldn't eat of it. And Satan says, well, now listen. He just doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. Because that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're going to know as much as God knows if you eat of that tree. What Satan did was propose that there was an alternative that was better than what God had proposed. Somehow or other, we think we're smarter than God. God says one thing, but we try to excuse ourselves in doing the opposite. By saying, in our case, it would be all right to eat of that tree. Satan began the problem that we still face today and that is very prevalent in our society and that is we believe that we have the right to satisfy ourselves on every issue. And anybody that goes against my, what I want to do has to be wrong. Because it's my, me, and mine that is important to the people of this world. Or to put it in other terms, the statement is made time and time again, if it feels good, do it. If it looks good, take it. If you want it, why not? Take care of self first. The word temptation connotates a mental problem in that our minds begin to calculate and we try to decide if it's worth the risk. We are tempted to do it, but for a little while we begin to weigh things in the balances and to see if it's to our advantage. God said, do not eat of it, and Satan said, try it, you might like it. And the try it, you might like it side of the scales began to weigh more than God said until Eve finally partook of the fruit that had been forbidden. Well, how do we deal with the issue of temptation? What could Eve have done that she did not do to have resisted doing that which obviously was wrong? I think we must first recognize that we have a choice. God gave us the right to do wrong if we want to do it. But he also said, if you do it, you will die. We are going to pay the consequences. Someone has said, you cannot stop Satan from knocking at your door. But that same person said, but you don't have to open the door and invite him in and give him a seat. There comes the dilemma. The thoughts will run through our mind that Satan plants there. But it's up to us to decide if we're going to yield, to open the door, and allow the evilness that Satan represents to come in and saturate our lives. There is a good theme amongst the people who are working hard on the uh, drug traffic and so on in, uh, today, and that is just say no. 
There comes a time when we must absolutely learn to say no and say it firmly. Not to just other people, but to ourselves as well. When we begin to weigh it in the balances and realize that what we are looking at is contrary to good common sense in the light of God's word. And if it does not jibe with the scriptures, then we need to say no at that point in time. Now, let me jump over to James a moment, and then I want to come back to the issue of, of Jesus' temptation in Matthew. If you remember those words that I read there in James 1, 12 through 15, The word said that God does not tempt anybody to do evil. If you are contemplating doing evil, don't charge God with as being the culprit that put it in your way. The one who will put that thought in your mind, put the idea before you, put the action there, is Satan himself. When Jesus was tempted, he was not tempted of God. He was tempted of the devil. As a matter of fact, the devil is called the tempter. We read it there in Matthew and the third verse. And it's also, we find the same word used of the devil in 1 Thessalonians. He is called the tempter. Well, what did Jesus do when he was tempted? If, if we need an example... Somebody who has gone through the issues, then we ought to go back to the Lord himself. First of all, I think we need to realize that Jesus was tempted. That is, he contemplated doing that which was wrong. Hebrews 4.15 says that he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. In other words... He faced all the dilemmas that you and I face and he stood up to them and said no on every issue that was wrong. He never said yes to a sin. And we come along and say, well, the Lord just doesn't understand. He hasn't faced all of these dilemmas that I face, the things that come my way to do wrong yes he does understand for he has faced every one of them now right after his baptism he went out into the desert where he stayed for 40 days and for 40 days he was tempted he wrestled with the issues of life as to whether he would or would not fulfill the mission that he had been sent here to fulfill. And after that period of time was over, the devil appeared to him and began to throw out some ideas. The first thing was he was hungry. Very hungry after 40 days of nothing to eat. He was very vulnerable. The devil is going to appear in your life and mine at the points in our life when we're vulnerable. Now understand that when you're low, when you're down, when you're distressed, when you're sick, when you've had a bad day, when you just got over the flu or you're just getting it, 
All of these things play upon us and we are weakened physically and mentally and morally and spiritually. We reach lows in our life. When we reach those lows, the devil is going to appear on the scene and begin to throw suggestions out to us that we ought to forsake the church, that we ought to quit singing in the choir, that we should no longer go to Sunday school. That's just nonsense. That we ought not help on the building, and we ought this and this and this, and on and on it goes. The devil in our low times will come and start throwing things out at us when we're very vulnerable, particularly when we are in physical need. Then we begin to forsake the spiritual needs of our life. You see, our whole being is, seems to be built upon taking care of the physical. How much time do we take to feed the body compared to feeding the soul? If you would count the hours of time that it takes you to earn the living, that amount of portion applied to what we eat and the time of cooking and preparing and eating, we would soon discover that we spend a large portion of our time just taking care of feeding us. And so we are built around satisfying the physical and the social needs of life, food and sex and pleasure and self-esteem. And Jesus combated everything that the devil threw at him by saying, it is written. It's in the Bible. It's in God's Word. If you want to resist temptation, you sit down wherever you go with your Bible in your hand and if you can do it. I cannot imagine... A person going into a bar and sitting there with a bottle of beer in his hand and the Bible in the other reading God's Word. Can you? I cannot imagine getting on the telephone and talking about my neighbor at the same time reading what God says. Love your enemies. Do good then despitefully use you and persecute you. Can you do it? <coughs> if we can do the dastardly deeds of our life and read the Bible at the same time, we would have to be so corrupt that it wouldn't make any difference what anybody said or did. He repeated to Satan every time it is written, you want to resist temptation? Find the scripture and read it in those times when you are tempted. first temptation that Jesus faced was that of self-gratification. To turn the stones, the rocks that were around him into something to eat. Why not do it? Nobody's going to know. He's out here in the desert all by himself. He can sin without anybody ever knowing about it. Brethren, that's exactly what Satan says to you and me. Go ahead and do it. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Or he will talk to us like Esau, like he did to Esau. When Esau came in out of the field and he was so hungry that he could not stand to wait until something was prepared and was willing to sell his birthright 
to the family's uh, inheritance and to his being the head of the family on the spot for a bowl of soup because he couldn't wait any longer. The idea is I cannot possibly survive without doing this or without taking that. I think it is more important to be true to oneself and to be true to God than it is to satisfy the needs of our own life when they're contrary to God's will. I believe the thing we need to, to do is to set high principles and then strive with everything within us to live up to those principles. And that Jesus achieved. Secondly, he was, attempted, he was tempted to be spectacular. A show-off. Now we all have a little bit of that in us. We want to be recognized. The life of the party. The one in charge. And if I can't be president, I'm not going to be a member. Of course, nobody ever did that, did they? You know of. If I can't sing the solo, I'm not going to sing in the choir. They didn't ask me. And what is that saying? I want a reputation for being the center of attention. I want to get my name in the newspapers. I want somebody to stand up and say my he or she is the greatest, the prettiest. Jesus said in Matthew 23, He that is the greatest among you shall be your servant. If you want to be great, the great people are on their knees doing the menial tasks. The great people of this world shine the shoes, not wear them. The great people of this world cook the meals, not eat them. The great people of this world wash the windows and clean the floors and do all the medial tasks. The great people of the world are the ones who prepares a simple meal and takes it to somebody who is ill. Those are the great people of this world. We must be cautious that we do not fall into the temptation of feeling that we must be the center of attention. Because to do so will do one of will do two things. Number one, it will cause us to fall, and secondly, we will take down with us many people who are innocent. Thirdly, there was a grasp for power. Satan said, "You see all of these worlds. You worship me, and I'll give them all to you. You'll be the king of the whole world." Well, he already was king of the whole world. It carries the idea of a desire to control others, to be in charge, to be an empire builder. That's what Hitler was. That's what Jim Jones was. And within the church, we have the same issue. In some churches, it's the pastor who must build upon his own ego and tear everybody else down in order to make himself great. Listen. Listen. If you ever have to tear somebody else down to build yourself up, 
you had already yielded to temptation. There are people in this community that are speaking evil against this organization, this church, and this pastor, but I don't worry about that, in order to build up themselves. When you hear those words come back from we're not in the business of building up self and building empires. We're in the business of being a small little portion of the kingdom of God's work. That's all we're here for. Over the years, I've seen it happen in churches that some woman gets in charge. And nothing goes on unless that one woman says so. I can think of several in my history, 30-some years of pastoring. It happens in the home. Before the husband jumps, he's got to go ask his wife how high he wants, she wants him to jump. Do you do that, Tony? Oh, okay. Oh, the reverse is true. And what is it all but a desire on the part of some little person to build himself up and make, him some, make himself somebody great and have everybody kowtow to him and go ask him or go ask her if I can go somewhere or do something or change something or clean something or say something or whatever. We've got to get clearance. Well, there is a certain amount of order that needs to take place, of course. But I'm talking about that person who feels that he or she must be in control in order to be a real part of the program. Do you want power? Jesus gave us the formula for power. Acts 1.8 When the angel said, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. There's where power is. Power is not being the head of an organization of some great uh, corporation or some big church or some little church or some little organization or some little class or even some little home. Power is when we turn our energies towards serving Jesus Christ and lay aside all of the little nonsensical things that seem to be made into big issues. Am I getting through? Let me conclude. Verse 11. There's Matthew 4. Jesus had responded to every one of these challenges of the devil and had resisted him. And then the scripture says that the devil left him. And the angels came and ministered unto him. Let me tell you, sometimes we get bruised pretty badly in life. The devil carries a pretty good sized stick to beat us with. And he throws everything at us that he possibly can. We're in a battle. We're not fighting against powers and principalities and all those things that Paul talked about. We're fighting against the devil. And you think the devil's not an adversary? You bet he is. 
And he'll tear us apart if he possibly can. When we as a church or we as individuals resist the devil, face him down with God's word, keep our lives in, in, in accordance with what the scripture says, then the scripture says that angels minister to Jesus and what I'm saying to you is the Lord will send his angels to lick our wounds and to heal us and to bind us up and to soothe those things that are wrong with us if we have remained faithful and resisted the devil when he has thrown everything at us. I don't buy this theory. I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Brother, if that's the way you are, you're wrong. Because your life is not in accordance with God's word. Our job is to be faithful in all things. To resist the temptation to do each other wrong. To sin against God and this church and this community, against our families and our friends. And to put our lives right and to live according to the high principles of God's word. Anything short of that is coming short of God's glory. And we're here to serve God. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.